we're continuing in our series, Why Do We Believe That? And again, I'll explain why we've been in this, uh, why we've been in this series now for probably three months or longer. Probably three months or longer. Uh, we're doing a doctrinal study. We're doing a systematic theology study, which is nothing more than some fancy words saying we are using a system to look into God's Word to see what the Bible teaches us about God. In the beginning, who? In the beginning, God. So everything flows from God. So systematic theology. Why do we believe that? As I've said before, every person in this room has a belief system. Every person on this planet has a belief system. We happen to be Christians. We happen to be children of God. Therefore, our belief system, and I hope you can, uh, uh, I hope you can testify to this. I hope you agree with me today. Our belief system, we believe what we believe because we believe the Bible. And that's our belief system. And, and th- this is somewhat like a pair of glasses. We, we look through the Word of God to see the world. And, and the world is what the world is because the Word of God says the world is what it is. The, the governing systems of the world, the fall of man, sin, salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. We know all of that. We believe all of that. We practice all of that. We live according to that because our belief system comes from the precious Word of God. Today, we are uh, going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. This week, we will dive into the subject of the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, last week, we spent our time together uh, establishing that the Holy Spirit is a person. I have heard the Holy Spirit called it. I've heard the Holy Spirit called a what? I've I've heard the Holy Spirit called a power, an essence, and on and on and on the, the, the titles go. But here's what we need to know and believe. The Holy Spirit is a person just like God the Father, just like God the Son, We have God the Holy Spirit. He's a he. He's a person. He's a person. Today it seems that there is an erroneous belief that the Holy Spirit, his work is somehow unconnected from the work of the Father and the work of the Son. And that's that's total error when you know what the Bible teaches. We know what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches that uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are fully united. They are fully united. They're working out the one plan of Almighty God. God's plan can can be seen clearly in John chapter 3, verse 16. You know the verse, don't you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's plan, is to redeem humanity to himself through the person of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see this clearly in texts such as John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the helper, you know who the helper is? Jesus is calling the Holy Spirit the helper. 
Now, now listen, look closely at this verse. But when the helper comes, whom I will send, Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit, I will send the helper, and I'll send him to you from the Father. So there we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working out the plan of God. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth. Brother Steve, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you expect us to believe what you expect us to believe? Because it's truth. It's truth. It's absolute truth. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. Here we see that the Father authors, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit applies. Catch that. The Father authors, the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplishes, and then the Holy Spirit comes along and applies that to you and I. The Holy Spirit's work, as we just saw in this verse, the Holy Spirit's work is centered upon the person of Jesus. Imagine that. The Bible says it's all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit came to draw our attention to Jesus. The chief role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation is to unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's His work. People want to trip and stumble and and go this direction and go that direction and go this direction and go that direction with the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit come to unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And He does so much more within that, but That is what the Holy Spirit came to do. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, again, that unites us to Christ. And and along with that comes all of the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit quickens us. He enlightens us. He convicts us. He converts us. He adopts us. He brings us into the family of God. And He performs the work of sanctification and eventually will lead us to glorification for all of eternity. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Look at John Chapter, look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. You, however, talking to born-again believers, talking to Christians, talking to us this morning, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If you're saved and born again, you no longer run with the flesh, you run with the Holy Spirit. You no longer obey the flesh, you obey the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Folks, this is going to get tight in here this morning. You, you believers, the church, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if in fact the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen to me closely. Listen to what the Word of God says. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Brother Steve, who has the Holy Spirit? All believers. Brother Steve, are you saying that all Christians possess the Holy Spirit? Are you saying that the Holy Spirit lives in the heart and life of every believer? It's what the book says. Can I get an amen? Amen. If in fact you are a child of God. 1 Peter 1.11 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, and I'll add daughters, and, and, and don't get angry at me at that, the Bible is talking about sons and daughters of Christ. Can I get an amen? And because you are Christians, because you are believers, because you've been adopted into the family of God, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Benefits of knowing Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we see here. To be in union with Christ is to be in union with the Holy Spirit. To participate with the Spirit is to participate with the Lord Jesus Christ. In unity, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11. You, however, again, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, folks read into this, the blessings that's there. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, this dead flesh of ours, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No wonder the enemy does not want us to know and understand the person of the Holy Spirit. Any understanding of the Holy Spirit that is not Trinitarian and is not Christological in this way, listen, any understanding that doesn't uplift the Holy Spirit to the same level as God the Father and God the Son dishonors the Holy Spirit and is not Christian. It's not doctrinally correct. And that's why we've begun our study by biblically defining who the Spirit is. Who the Spirit is. Now then, let's move along. The Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. Question. Question. Where do you think the Holy Spirit is first seen in Scripture? In the beginning. In the beginning, so we have to go back in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Are you ready? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of The waters. Right there in the beginning, we have God the Father. We have the Holy Spirit. And according to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So on the first page of Scripture, in the opening verses, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God said, now get this, 
God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, let's, let's, let's begin by noting two things that the text says is present here. We have the Spirit of God, and we have the Word of God. We see God speaking, saying, let there be light, and it comes into being, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. God speaks, the Holy Spirit brings it to life. In other words, God creates by his word through his spirit. He creates by his word through his spirit. The spirit of God brings about the Father's will in creation, bringing order out of chaos, creating what is out of what was never there before. Hebrews 11, 3 By faith, say by faith with me, by faith. We have to take this by faith, don't we? And and we have faith in it because the word of God has never lied to us ever and never will lie to us. It is absolute truth. By faith, we understand, the church, the believers, we understand that the universe was created, how? By the word of God, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, the work of the Spirit in creation is is to extend God's presence into creation in such a way to order and complete what has been planned in the mind of God. God planned all that we know in his mind. He spoke the words and the Holy Spirit brought it into reality. The work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's harder to preach when you ain't got a microphone. The Holy Spirit shows up throughout the Old Testament in similar fashion, all throughout the Old Testament. The divine presence that guided God's people in the Exodus as God led them out of Egypt. If you'll recall, there was a pillar of cloud by day and and a cloud of fire by night, and it was guiding God's people. It was delivering God's people. And guess who that cloud was? And guess who that pillar of fire was? None other than the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that gifted certain men in the Old Testament in constructing the tabernacle and the temple and inspiring the Old Testament prophets with the Word of God. Again, the Old Testament is filled with references to the Holy Spirit's work. Still, now listen, overall, the Spirit's activity in the Old Testament was external. It was external. It was mysterious. It was selective. At best, it was sporadic. But even the prophets in those times in the Old Testament, the prophets longed, Scripture words here, the prophets longed for better days. As we see from the words of Moses in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 29, Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Now listen to the hope that Moses had. He says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses is tired. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they bellyache, and they moan, and they groan, and they complain. I mean, God is clothing them. God is feeding them. God is giving them water to drink. God is providing their every need. And all they can do is say, Moses... You're a terrible leader. Man, we had it good back in Egypt. And Moses is saying, God, I wish 
that all the people were prophets, not just me. God, I wish that you would put your Holy Spirit on every single one of them so that they could see you as I see you, so that they could appreciate you as I appreciate you. Moses longed for the day, listen, when all of God's people would possess the Holy Spirit. So does this mean that the Old Testament believers didn't possess the Holy Spirit? Well, the Old Testament never speaks of the Holy Spirit indwelling. The Old Testament never speaks of the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. Dwelling language is covenant language. The language of God's presence. When we think about God dwelling It's relational, and it takes us back to the Garden of Eden when God actually walked through the garden and him and Adam carried on conversations because they dwelt together before sin. But in the Old Testament, God's dwelling is always external in the tabernacle and the temple, but never in believers. So in the New Testament, we do see the Spirit empowering believers, He empowered believers, but not equally and and not indefinitely. Another testimony of the Holy Spirit's selective work is King David. You remember King David was not doing what he should have been doing as king, and he stayed back from the battle, and he's on the rooftop, and he, he looks across the way, and he sees a beautiful young lady bathing Now, if he had been where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to have been doing, this would have never occurred. But he lusted for this lady, and he sent for her and had her brought to him, and they had an adulterous relationship, and she conceived a child, and the baby was born, and the baby died. God's judgment. And in Psalm chapter 51, David is repenting and telling God how sorry he is for his sins. And he prays, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the Spirit's work was predominantly reserved for leaders, such as prophets and priests and kings. But two, keep in mind, there was this hope. There was the hope that that, that what Moses was seeking after for all of God's people to possess God's Spirit. And Moses has that hope that that will eventually happen. And let me share three scriptures with you that gives Moses that hope and give, gave God's people in the Old Testament that hope. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Pay special close attention to the clean water, a baptizing effect. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, prophet Joel says, And it shall come to pass afterward at God's appointed time that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, on all believers, your sons and your daughters. They shall prophesy. Your old men uh, shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34, again, another promise, for this is the covenant. There's that word covenant. Say covenant. Covenant. 
so important to understand the covenants of God. For this is the covenant that I will make in the future. I will make a covenant with the house of Israel, a new covenant, a dynamic covenant, a powerful covenant in those days, declares the Lord. I will put, get this, I will put my law where? Within them, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Praise God for that. I will dwell on the inside of them. They will be my people. Verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me. See, when God lives in you, how can you not know him? You don't have to go around saying, hey, you ought to know the Lord. When, when someone is a believer, they say, I know the Lord. How do you know the Lord? Because he saved me. He redeemed me. He lives on the inside of me. I know him better than I know anyone else through the power of the Holy Spirit. From the least of them to the greatest. Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Is that not glorious scripture? We see the beginning of the fulfillment of these promises where? In the person of Christ. Let's look at the Holy Spirit's work in the person of Christ. Now listen closely to that. The Holy Spirit at work in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we arrive here at the New Testament, our understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit comes into greater focus and greater clarity. So let's take a few minutes and look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the person of Christ. And let me just say, yes, you heard me correctly. The Spirit at work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, we can trace the Holy Spirit at work in Christ through three stages. The first is the conception of Christ. When we go to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we hear the angel speaking to Mary, and the angel answered her, listen, who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will, now get this word, overshadow, say overshadow. Man, that is, a, that is a promising word. That is a prominent word. That's a powerful word. The Spirit, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, now, why am I focusing upon that word overshadow? Because the word overshadow is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the cloud of God's glory that hovered about the tabernacle. You've heard in the Old Testament the Shekinah glory of God. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And just like the Holy Spirit was hovering above the waters at creation, as Pastor Dale has mentioned before, basically giving creation CPR, pumping life into creation. Here the Holy Spirit is doing what? Hovering above Mary causing the great miracle of the Son of God to be conceived on the inside of her. Who's doing that work? The Holy Spirit of God from Jesus' very 
conception. Luke is saying that the promised new temple, get that, the new temple of the Old Testament is none other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus promised, Jesus is the promised glory of the Father, listen, dwelling with his people. Dwelling with his people. Number two, the baptism and ministry of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is present at his conception. The Holy Spirit is present at his baptism. The Holy Spirit is present, empowering him throughout all of his earthly ministry. The second stage of the Spirit's work in Christ begins with his baptism. You know the story, I hope. John the Baptist has come as promised from God the Father, and, and, and he is the, the last and final Old Testament prophet to come up on the scene. He's declaring the good news, and he is preaching uh, the sermon of repentance and water baptism, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and turn from your sins and be baptized as a witness that you have repented, preaching this to the Jews. And as John the Baptist is on the banks of the Jordan River one day proclaiming these truths, who walks up? Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Jesus and John go into the Jordan River and Jesus uh, asks for John the Baptist to baptize him. And, and we know that John the Baptist obliges him and, and, and John baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus is coming back up out of the water, here's what we see. The heavens open and prepare the entire world for a brand new revelation. A brand new revelation. A dove descends, and as that dove descends, God speaks aloud for everyone to hear. This is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased with him. Now, Jesus is baptized, but equally important, if not more important, is the Holy Spirit descends upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Empowering him to do the work that God sent him to do. Christ could not have done the work he did had it not been for the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the power that God sent him into ministry with the Holy Spirit. Now then, immediately following the baptism, what happens? Led into the wilderness by who? The Holy Spirit. Now get this, folks. I'm excited. Are you excited? Get this, immediately following the baptism, immediately following the Holy Spirit to sing them upon him, the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit. Say, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is led through, get this, a rerun of Eden. Write that down. A rerun of Eden. Why? Jesus is known as the second Adam. The first Adam blew it. The first Adam blew it. A rerun of Eden. Yes, look at this. Satan tempts Jesus just like he tempted Adam. But unlike the first Adam who ignored the Holy Spirit, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, obeys God, obeys the Holy Spirit, and succeeds. Full of the Spirit, Jesus walks into the territory of the enemy in the wilderness to face off with Satan himself. 
to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights where he fights for God's people. And not only does he fight for us, he wins. Say he wins. And after defeating Satan, he demands, Be gone, Satan. And what does Satan do? As we say here in the hills of Tennessee, he tucks tail and runs. Why? He had to. He had no other choice. No wonder Jesus would strike fear in the demons during his earthly ministry. The name of Jesus would be mentioned and the demons would tremble in their shoes. The earthly days of Jesus' ministry reminds us that we as Christians, get this church, we as Christians, we fight from a position of our already attained victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is not a battle you cannot win. When you fight from your position in the Lord Jesus Christ, being empowered, being infused by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. We only fight the fight by God's Spirit's power within us. Thirdly, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in His resurrection and His ascension. So from conception until He ascends back to heaven, it's the Holy Spirit working in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third stage of the Spirit's work in Christ began with Jesus' resurrection and His Ascension. Now, though often attributed to the Father and the Son, get this, church, the resurrection and the ascension are also the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit spoke Christ out of the grave. The Holy Spirit empowered Him to be carried away back into heaven to be enthroned there with His Father. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the who? According to the Spirit. And was declared, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, say me, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. The New Testament teaches that through Jesus' life and ministry, He came into such a complete possession of the Holy Spirit, experiencing Him without limit, without limit, that He becomes the Lord of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 34. For He whom God has sent utters the words of God, listen, for He gives the Spirit without measure. How much Spirit can you contain? All of the Spirit. He gives Him without measure. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we, and we all with unveiled faces in reference to Moses being in the presence of God, having to wear a veil on his face because he basically glowed in the dark because he was so in tune with God on the mountain that day. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God and being transformed, listen, 
being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another in a gradual growing process. For this comes from the Lord who is the who? The Holy Spirit of God. The Bible teaches us that much of what Jesus did was due to the Spirit's work in Him. His conception, His his anointing, his, His resurrection, His ascension. These were done in the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. That's good stuff, ain't it? Let me give you just a little more. Let me give you just a little more. The Holy Spirit at work in the Christian. Now we saw the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit at work in the person of Christ. And now we begin to briefly, for just a few minutes this morning, there's so much to say from here forward that I can't stand myself. I've had the time of my life studying the past few weeks on the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in the Christian. So since the Holy Spirit helped Jesus in His work, do you think there's any examples from modern day life that serve as a picture of what the Holy Spirit is continuing to do now in the life of believers? You bet there is. The Holy Spirit at work in the Christian. Jesus had much to say when He was here on planet Earth. Can I get an amen? But in His parting words... In Jesus' parting words, He spent that most valuable time in His parting words preparing His followers for the promised Holy Spirit. Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, Jesus says, And behold, I... When I get back to heaven, when I get seated at the right hand of the Father, when I ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now Jesus has given them their marching orders. He's given them the great commandment to love God supremely and to love others as much as you love yourself. Listen, we're full of the Holy Spirit and we still struggle with loving God supremely. Can I get an amen? amen? And we're especially struggling with loving other people as much as we love ourselves. Give me a real authentic amen on that one. Amen. The only way a human being can love God supremely is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And the only way we can love others as much as we love ourselves is through the power of God that lives in us. And that's the great commandment. And then Jesus gives His followers the great commission in which He says, Go make disciples. These men can't even make butter, let alone disciples. They might make mud pies, but that's about it. And that's all we're we're capable of doing apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? So Jesus tells them, Go make disciples of all nations. Pay close attention to what I'm saying here. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now listen to this. Jesus sews this up with this phrase. 
And remember, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. So in Luke 24, 49, He says, I'm going to send the promise of my Father. And it's going to come upon you. I'll add some words here. Jesus basically but you knuckleheads, you go to Jerusalem and you take a seat and you wait. Because what I've commanded you with the commandment, what I have commanded you to do in the Great Commission, you can't do it by yourself. You might be good at catching fish, but you can't catch a man without my power. You go and you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's power comes upon you, you not only will do what I have done and what you've seen me do, you'll do greater things. But wait on the Spirit's power. Now then, this promise. This promise. Where is that promise fulfilled? I'll give you a hint. Start with a P. Ends with a Pentecost. That'd be a Pentecost, wouldn't it? Absolutely. The promise was fulfilled at Pentecost. Number one, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you folks may not get too excited about that. You may not fully understand what you need to know about that, but I want to give it to you. And I'm telling you folks, listen to me. I promise you, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Listen, I'm just a hillbilly preacher, and you know that. But here's what I know. I know the book. I know the book. We are in unprecedented times in the United States of America. If you'll remember, at the end of 2019, and when I say this, I mean this with all my heart, at the end of 2019, repeatedly I said, something's coming. Y'all remember that? I said, 2020 is going to be a year of vision. You remember that? Lord, if I'd have known what I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have put it in reverse, and I'd went back to the seventies and relived that. I'd been back at the house playing hide and go seek and riding a motorcycle and beating up my little brother. I mean, I'd have had some good times back there, but I didn't have a clue, and you didn't have a clue, and none of us had a clue what twenty twenty held. I mean, is it safe to say the wheels fell off the bus in 2020? Would it be safe to say that right now 2020, 2021 is not looking any better? Just as God led us at the end of 2019 to do the 40 days of prayer, God led that, folks. I'm not sharp enough to guide you people. Can you please say amen and mean it with all your heart? I'm not. I'm not. I'm like those disciples. You go sit down and wait until the Holy Spirit comes and He will empower you. All I'm doing is following Him and inviting you to follow me as I follow Him. Don't follow me because the blind leads the blind in the ditch. 
But I'm saying let's follow Him together. God led us into this study. I, I did not come up with this on my own. It's Holy Spirit led. And, and God knew the timing of how this series would play out. And God knew right now in the beginning of 2021, we would be studying about the Holy Spirit of God. Why? The church is powerless. Say powerless. The church is powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can have meetings together without Him. We can sing without Him. We can even preach without Him, but we'll not accomplish anything without Him. We can go through the motions. I mean, we can have a good social club, and and, and we can even do good things. But if it's not Holy Spirit infused and empowered, we're wasting our time. God needs us to know this. God needs us to know this inside and outside and understand it. And God is empowering hope in Christ to make our way from here to the second coming of Christ into eternity. And the secret to the success of it all is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Y'all ought to say amen. I need to breathe. Boy, I miss a microphone. The gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm just trembling. This is good. Acts chapter 2. Wow, this is so good. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Obediently, as the Master instructed them to do, they went and waited. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled, listen, every nook and cranny. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire. Now, catch these words, folks. I've I've missed this for so long. Wind. Fire. Divine words. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each One of them. Moses' dream has come true. Oh, that they would all be prophets. Oh, that they would all possess the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the who? As the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter, oh misfit, foot in the mouth, Peter, boldly stands, this time full of the Holy Spirit of God. And he preaches. 
and he explains with great clarity what has just happened. And he's quoting from Joel chapter 2 that we read earlier. And then he quotes Psalm 110. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 33. Peter says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Now this is exactly, this is Old Testament. He, he, he is repeating Psalm 110 here in Acts chapter 2. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing today. This is one of the biggest days in all of human history. This is when, this is when the plan all comes together. Oh my goodness, pay attention. Notice two things. First, we see how the, the gift of the Spirit, represented by violent winds and flames of fire, is not some hooky-pooky peculiar twist in God's plan. Instead, it's the central element in the new covenant. Remember a while ago I said, pay attention to this word, covenant. Remember me saying that? The new covenant of God, the New Testament. It's the central element in the new covenant promise that God had given to His people back in Joel chapter 2. In Ezekiel 26 and the book of Jeremiah. And then secondly, in quoting Psalm 110, Peter shows how the gift of the Spirit to Christ from the Father and then the delivery of the Spirit to believers by Christ fulfills the promise to the Son in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Let's look at that. Ask of me and I will make... Listen, oh, get this, church. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, we're at the day of Pentecost, you understand? At Pentecost, who is present that day? We know the disciples are there. We know the 120 believers are there. We know multitudes of people there. We know for certain the Holy Spirit is there. But who else is there? Nations. This is a holy day. And the nations have come to Jerusalem. They fought to celebrate the same old, same old day of Pentecost. But this is why the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this, this was God's intention for the day of Pentecost all throughout history. God knew this was going to go down this day on the day of Pentecost. The nations coming to Christ with the great commission being fulfilled. And it's primarily... Who making all this happen? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Also, get this. We have the reversal of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel? You remember that story? Now catch this, get this. In Genesis 10, in Genesis 10, we're given a list of nations followed by God confusing their language and scattering them out across the planet. Here in Acts chapter 2, we're given another list of nations, except this time 
their languages are understood. Their languages are understood as they've gathered in Jerusalem. So on the day of the Tower of Babel, God scattered them and confused their languages. On the day of Pentecost, God gathers the nations and everyone understands the words of God. The effects of sin are being reversed in this new community of baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit believers, both Jews and Gentiles. And they're all being united together by who? The Holy Spirit of God. I was studying this. I was just amazed. I mean, absolutely amazed at the Holy Spirit connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament together here on the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. After all, fire, wind, divine tongues reminds us of what Moses encountered where? On Mount Sinai. Right? Moses ascends upon the mountain only to descend with what? The Ten Commandments. The laws of God written on stone tablets. Right? In the same way in the New Testament, who has just ascended? The Lord Jesus Christ. And at Pentecost, He descends in the person of the Holy Spirit. Not with the law written on tablets, but with the gift of His own Spirit to write the law. Where did we see a while ago? You see this, folks? You see this? This is how we're enabled to live a godly life, a holy life. Because God is not a distant person. He is the person of the Holy Spirit in literally, this is not figuratively speaking, He lives inside of me as a believer. And He lives on the inside of you as a believer. My question to you is, are you aware of that? Not with just a head nod, but with full knowledge and full assurance. And are you accessing Him daily to live the Spirit-filled life? And the question would be, a little bit, right? Honestly, honestly, a little bit. What if, what if by total surrender to Him, we just unleashed Him in our lives? Yeah. This is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. And the great hope that Moses had that we looked at in Numbers 11. Wow. In Christ, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, all, say all, all the Lord's people possess the knowledge of God, the full knowledge of God. Jeremiah 31, 34. And no longer, as we saw a while ago, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. How many of you all know the Lord this morning? Absolutely. Personally. Powerfully. 
For they shall all know me. All of the elect, all of God's children will know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, wow, Steve, that's a lot of information to take in at one time. And it is. It's like being hot and thirsty on a summer day and you go to the water fountain and you get a, wind up getting a drink out of a fire hydrant. Right? It just blows you back 30 feet and takes you a few days to recover. Here's what I want you to see out of what we've said today. Pentecost is the culmination of the work of Christ. It's the fulfillment of Jesus saying, I came to seek and to save the lost. Remember what He said in John 7 verse 37? He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Now by this, He meant the Spirit. He meant the Holy Spirit. A while ago, we were talking about water. And here Jesus is talking about being thirsty. And He said, if you're thirsty, come to Me and drink. And what Jesus was saying was, everyone who believes in Me will eventually receive the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit was the evidence needed to prove that Christ had successfully ascended to heaven, successfully sit down at the right hand of the Father and had been glorified in His heavenly enthronement. So we have here the book of Acts. And, and the book of Acts is not so much about the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, but the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit. John 14, 12, my last scripture. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, believers, whoever believes in Me, if you believe in Him this morning and you know that you've been saved and born again and you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, shout Amen. Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do and even greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father and to extend this, He says, when I get there, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So what benefits does the indwelling Holy Spirit bring to believers? That's a great question, isn't it? And we'll tackle that next Sunday. Because y'all have preached me to death this morning. Let me just say that. That's where we'll pick up next week. We'll begin looking at the benefits of the Holy Spirit in believers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Holy, righteous Father, God, we bow before You now in great praise and adoration and Father, thanksgiving. Father, we're thankful for You, our Father. We're thankful for Jesus, Your Son, our Savior. And Father, we're thankful for the precious, precious Holy Spirit of God today. And God, we know that we have just scratched the surface. Just scratched the surface, Father, of what you have for us and who you are and where you're leading us and where you're taking us through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that you'll continue to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and Father, hearts to obey. 
God, do the work that you've set out to do here in this place today that only you can do. We pray that lost souls will be saved. We pray that broken hearts will be made whole. Father, we pray your perfect will be done. Father, we pray these things in the wonderful, wonderful, mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.